Welcome everyone to the second podcast of the Eurydominion Chronicles. This is your host, Yuto. Today, as promised, I'll be reading the prelude to the Eurydominion Chronicles. However, I have a small announcement to make. The characters of this novel are based on real people. And so, from time to time, I may not be the one narrating these chapters, but someone else. As we progress, we see the main characters. You will find that there are certain aspects that would be better off if they were the one narrating them. Why, you might ask. Well, I kinda lied about something. The events of this novel are real, and some of those events took place when I wasn't around. So sometimes they are just secondhand information. So it's better that the one that has been through the experience to be the one narrating these chapters for you. And so, without any further ado, Let's start reading the prelude to the Erudomanian Chronicles. Prelude to the Erudomanian Chronicles It was like the world had all the magic sucked out of it. We felt weak, powerless, and useless. And ten pillars of iridescent light rose from the battlefield and shot towards the heavens. We saw our sky break and we saw our world collapse. But it was at this very moment that we knew we were given a second chance. From Histories of the Time of Peacefulness by Aragai Chartai, the personal historian of the Imagination Creator. Zane, the Imagination Creator, sat on his throne and looked at the reflective mirror on the floor of his circular throne room that had showed him the battlefield. The scenes kept shifting showing the ocean of beginnings where Arudamanians were dragged into their homes by the shifting monsters in the darkness and slaughtered. He saw the floating land of Grandana, where wielders fought and were pushed off the floating island and into the abyss. He saw fallen angels fighting for their homes as their wings were torn from their bodies. He saw fire speakers dancing with their fires protecting their homes as the darkness overcame their fires and snuffed them out of existence. He saw the shifters of the crystalline hills as they fought for their continent and were frozen by their own magic. He saw... Zane couldn't take it anymore, so he waved a hand and the mirror went obsidian. In the circular room in his floating palace, in the center of the city tower of Arudaman, Zane wasn't alone. Zane's palace acted as a host for the ten kings and queens of Arudaman during this war so they would discuss their next moves, to discuss the destruction of their world. Zane looked at them, one by one, and he couldn't utter a word. For what could he say? He created this. He created this world, and he couldn't protect it. It's not the first time I have failed to do so, Zane thought. Zane turned to his left to see that his brother, Deuce, wasn't in the meeting. He growled and called for one of the servants, but Stefan, the King of Light, stood up and stopped Zane. Do not take it out on the poor servants. They have a family fighting there, you know. Stefan looked in the mirror, and as if the mirror sensed what Stefan wanted, it showed him the shores of the Ocean of Beginnings. The ocean that ancient Arudamanians found and named home for those who can feel the water and listen to the light where life began and flourished on its very shore. Now, 
The white powdery sand was spoiled with the red and black blood of Arudamenians and monsters in the darkness. It was filled with half-eaten Arudamenians' bodies, their gore spilled around them. They saw fierce warriors turning water into animals and objects to try and kill the darkness, but they couldn't. For you cannot kill the darkness the same way one cannot kill the air or any element of nature. One can only contain it. Stefan stared at the mirror as he breathed, the ocean of beginnings and endings. Zane turned to look at him. The windows that showed the sky behind Stefan poured in light that contrasted with his ebony skin. He shook his head and closed his eyes. My people lived on the shores of that ocean as a good omen for them. But now, my people shall not touch the waters of this cursed place again. How dare you? Natara, the king of waters, stood up, sword drawn. How dare you speak of my home like that? My home has been nothing but a blessing to your people. How... how are... Cut it off, both of you. Forza, the queen of wind, stood up. We have no time for your bickering. We need to find a way to lock this darkness in. We need to... Her voice broke at the mirror reflected her people, fighting and dying. Children being slaughtered and women being killed. Men being pushed off the island and steeds being eaten. She saw animals all around the Rodaman trying to hide and failed. She couldn't take it and broke into tears, only to be held up by her love, Zemerald, the Queen of Earth. Zane knew that Zemerald felt the animals more than Fortha did, but their partnerhood made it so that they can both feel each other. They both feel the pain. They both feel the sorrow. Harthia Wildheart, the Queen of Fire, stood and slowly inched to the mirror. But there, she saw only one place, Mount Dermiriar. She slowly closed her eyes and took a deep breath. I have failed them, the same way I have failed you. She shook her head. I shouldn't have been chosen. I shouldn't have been chosen. I. Zane looked at the mirror to find it showing the fallen angels again. Mandron, the king of shadows, growled and stood up, drawing his sword. His wings flared behind his back. We should be down there fighting. We should be with our people, not cooped up here like invalids. But his twin brother, Andrian, the king of darkness, put a hand on his brother's shoulders. Mandron, we cannot win this. We have already lost. Zane didn't speak. He simply put his hand behind his back and waited. Zane? Zane? Are you there? Are you there? Zane? Zane looked to his left to see the King of Lightning, Calias, standing there. He zipped around the room, disappearing, and then reappeared again next to Zane. I say, let me down there and I will get it all done with. I'm fast and I'm powerful and amazing. Just let me down there, please, please. Zane took a deep breath and said, as calmly as he can, given the situation they were in. I have found a way to contain the serum, but it will cost us our lives. For not even I can use this kind of magic on my own. I will need you, but I am immortal. It won't kill me. But for you, it will be the last act you do at the rulers of Arudaman. 
Glorious, the Queen of Ice, got up and stood in front of Zane. Her lips quivered as she breathed. What of our guardians, Zane? What of my son? Zane didn't answer. What of my son, Zane? Glorious repeated, and still Zane did not answer. Glorious turned and looked at the mirror at the crystalline hills appeared, showing a little figure in clothes of a kid, guiding warriors into battle. She saw her own child, a child that wasn't even into his fifth immortality cycle when he died and came back to life, marching into his own death. Again. She turned to Zane. Take my powers, take everything, but do not let harm befall him, Zane. Not him, not my son, I beg of you. Zane looked at her as the gates of the circular room opened and Kylo, Zane's own guardian, walked in. It is ready, sir. The gate of the undesired souls. Zane followed his guardian, trailing the rulers of Arudaman behind him. The hall had floor-to-ceiling windows with various drawings of him creating Arudaman. Then some depicted the rising of the rulers and how each of them acquired their power. If someone didn't know about the war and stood in front of one of those glass-stained windows, he would have marveled at the beauty of the thing and would contemplate the skills of the artist who did it. Now, Zane could only ask himself if the artist was dead or alive. This gate, Zane said, will lead to a world that once was but will never be. A world where the Siren will go and stay. But I beg of you. Do not look into the gates as we close it. For once it is opened, it will draw you in with its power. It will make you want to go in. Do not listen to its lure. He turned to face the rulers and took a deep breath. I want... But the windows next to them shattered and monsters of the darkness poured in. Zane had a moment where time slowed as Berberon... Harthia's guardian jumped in, trailing monsters behind him. Men got, got his sword out and jumped at the closest monster to him, and it was the surprise that shocked Mandran, not the ball of blue fire that Berbran shot at Mandran. Mandran was shot back, slamming at one of the pillars in the hall, breaking it completely and it came down crashing on him. Andrian stopped and looked in horror as his brother's hand fought to get out. It kept fighting. Mandran kept fighting. And then... His hand went limp, and the sword he was holding clacked against the marble floor. And so, Mandron, the King of Shadows, died. Zane gasped as a ball of violet light shot from Mandron's limp hand and into Zane's chest. The magic within Zane demanding this fragment of power to be returned to Zane. Zane raised his hand, pushing the monsters out of the window with nothing but a thought. Zane turned and looked at Berberon who had a dagger out. The hilt had the face of a dragon at its end, and the body looked like a dragon's body. The blade itself was made of purple stone. Zane knew what was going to happen next. This stone, the Ictor stone, could trap the soul of a fire singer inside of it. To never die, yet they won't ever be alive. Zane ran to Harthia as she stood there frozen, horrified. Gloria shouted, Stay away from... But her words were never finished as a monster of the darkness came from the window behind her, biting her in the shoulder and taking her down with it. 
Zane was torn. He ran to the window and looked down to see nothing but fluffy white clouds. He turned to find that Berberan had stabbed Harthia in the chest. She looked down as her blood spilled and the Ictor stone started glowing, sucking in her soul. She turned around frantic, but she looked at Dane and nodded, extending a hand towards him and her power shot from her and into him. Immediately, her hair turned white and she fell to her knees. Burbron roared in anger, but he kept standing there, the dagger still in Harthia's chest. Zane wondered why no one had moved to save Harthia, but he didn't realize that time had slowed around him. He was in a bubble where time didn't move as fast as it should. He saw Natara and Stefan fighting monsters of the darkness. He saw Zemerald and Fortha creating a barrier around the broken windows. He saw Andrian fighting, tears coming down as he stabbed and cursed and roared. His wings flapped, turning from white to a darker shade. He betrayed his oath. Zane looked around as he saw monsters breaking the barrier and attacking the Queen of Earth and Wind. He saw monsters outnumbering Andrian and pouncing on him with formless shapes. He saw Natara and Stefan falling down together despite their constant bickering. He looked around and didn't find Kellyus. Good. Good. One of them was alive. One. Zane, watch out! Zane was pushed out of the way as a monster in the darkness lunged on Zane. But Zane never took the hit. Kellyus did. He stood where Zane was standing a second ago. But Kellyus had a sword like claw protruding out of his chest. He gasped and choked on ruby-red blood that was trickling down his mouth. He saw his friends die, one after the other, and he couldn't do a thing. But he felt them, inside his chest. He felt their powers raging through his body, boiling his blood. He heard their voices in his head as they roared with one single thought. One single wish. For a world better than this one. And so Zane did what he had to do. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this uh, recording of the prelude to the Arithmanian Chronicles. I just have few comments to say that you might have heard me uh, pronouncing Mendron's name in different ways. Uh, these because um, you are going to learn that there are the language of the shadows and this is how Mendron's name was actually pronounced in the language of the shadows. Men saying Mendron is saying it in our own languages, not in theirs. And then you might have noticed me saying monsters of the darkness and monsters in the darkness. Yes, these are two types of monsters. And you're going to be introduced to how they were created, what are they, and so on. So just to clear the confusion, these are two different types of monsters. And um, it is sad to know how the kings and queens of Arodhaman died. Um, because when you, when, when you start getting to know them, the old kings and queens, not the new one, you're going to feel that we all have been through what they have been through. Uh, you know, how they ascended into being the rulers. They have been through a lot so that the powers can accept them or that they would be given uh, the powers. Just small spoiler alert, if, if you don't want to listen to this, don't continue. That Calais has gone through this phase where he, where he was forced into this competition so he would win the Fragment of Lightning. And in this competition, he had to compete with his own brothers, and to win, he had to kill them. Calias, I won't tell you what Calias did, but this is, this is the form of what they have been through. So, seeing this world fall, seeing that all what they have been through, to have this, to have this perfect world, this utopia of a world for their people being destroyed, this, this is how it hurt them. 
So this was the end of our podcast today and I genuinely do hope that you liked the prelude to the Arithmian Chronicles and see you next Friday when we read the prologue to the Arithmian Chronicles where two of the main characters are going to make an appearance. See ya!